The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Hello, my friends. Welcome to episode 177 of the Sample Chapter Podcast. Hey, this week we are going to be having a wonderful chat with the delightful lady, a fiction, thriller, and suspense author, Catherine Dean Maseroff. She is here to discuss her debut novel, Summer Club, and uh, along the way we're going to be hearing all kinds of wonderful stuff about her past and her her writing history, uh, how she got to this stage. Uh, We're discussing things like the so what story question, you know, what's next? Who's going to read this? Who wants to hear about this? Uh, that was a fascinating subject. Uh, we're hearing about the difference from journalism versus fiction and uh, writing that fiction inspired by life. You're going to love this. It's a great conversation and we have a lot of laughs and uh, it's truly a wonderful conversation that I cannot wait to get to. But first, let me just say thank you, uh, as always, to all of you out there all over the world listening to the show. Uh, numbers this past month were fantastic and it just keeps on growing and I'm so grateful. Hey, make sure that you are following the show and, and commenting wherever it is that you're following from on whichever social media you'd like. You can find the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, it's just the Sample Chapter Podcast. Very easy to find. So make sure you're sharing your favorite episode. Tag us on that. Let us know what your favorite episodes are. And you can also give us recommendations that way. If you don't have social media, if you don't want to do that, you can always reach out to me at samplechapterpodcast at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail by calling 660-851-1146. And as always, if I, if I like that voicemail, we'll make sure to play it in an upcoming episode. Uh, not only are we on social media, but the show is available on all podcast platforms at this point. Uh, just about everything you can think of, the show is there. So wherever it is, give us a follow, give us a like, give us a rating, and uh, that would be fantastic. I'd really appreciate that. It really does help share the uh, the show and uh, brings more awareness to all these amazing authors. I mean, my gosh episode 177 we've had i've had several repeat guests but for the most part we're looking at like a hundred and at least 170 unique visits on this show that's really something that is really amazing so some fantastic authors and make sure you go into the backlist wherever it is you're listening to the show uh go to the backlist and check out some of the amazing Authors we've had on there. Of course, you can also go to samplechapterpodcast.com and see that there. The cover art for the uh, for that episode's book is listed there or, or is posted there so you can see what that looks like. And, uh, yeah, give us a follow. I also want to say thank you to our sponsors, starting with Scrivener, my favorite writing software. I use Scrivener in all of my writing, and I'm having a blast learning how to write a series with it and how to continue those character and place notes uh, through from you know from book one to book two to book three, and how it those notes grow with each book because you got new characters, you got new places, you have new events, 
and all I have to do is just copy it over and it's there right there available to me so easy to use hey check out this advertisement and learn how you can save 20% on the regular desktop version Jason here hey I wanted to take a moment and tell you about my favorite writing tool Scrivener now I know you've heard about Scrivener because their writing software has been embraced by hundreds of thousands of other writers like you and I, from the novice to best-selling novelists. The reason we all use it is because of Scrivener's core concept to bring all the writing tools you use together in a single application. And with tools like automatic backup, character maps, project goals, and let's not forget that amazing corkboard, you can see why I use Scrivener every day. As a bonus for Sample Chapter Podcast listeners, use code CHAPTER for 20% off your desktop version. Scrivener Writing Software, built by writers for writers. All right, thank you once again to Scrivener. Love having them as part of the show. Fantastic people over there. And hey, don't forget, Scrivener 3 is now available. So go ahead in there and check that out. That's some amazing stuff that you can do with Scrivener 3 that you couldn't do before. So... Click that link in the show notes to find out more. I also want to thank Audible. We have partnered up with them uh, to offer a free audiobook and 30-day trial to Audible. And, you know, again, I'm going to play a little clip for you so that way you can hear more than I can just say off the cuff. Listen to this to see what you get by giving this a try. Hello, friends. Jason here. And I wanted to take a moment to tell you about a great offer from Audible. Like you, I'm very busy. I have a full-time job, a family, I'm a thriller author, and I do this weekly podcast. But I also love to read. That's where Audible is a lifesaver for me. Whether I'm mowing the yard, working out, driving back and forth to work, or doing some other menial task, I can still listen to an incredible book through Audible. And now you can get a free 30-day trial by going to audibletrial.com slash sample chapter. By doing that, you'll not only have that 30-day trial, you'll also gain access to guided wellness programs, theatrical performances, A-list comedy, exclusive Audible originals, and even podcasts like the Sample Chapter Podcast. Last year is the first time I ever achieved my own personal reading goals and it was because of some wonderful titles I listened to on Audible. Some of those titles were Ready Player Two by Ernest Cline narrated by Will Wheaton, the Awaken Online series from Travis Bagwell narrated by David Stifle, Patient Zero by Jonathan Mayberry narrated by the incredible Ray Porter, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention previous guest Scott Meyer with his Magic 2.0 series narrated by Luke Daniels. It's a lot of fun and definitely worth your time. Hey, full disclosure, by signing up at audibletrial.com slash sample chapter, the show does get a little monetization, which goes directly towards any production needs uh, with the show. So you're also helping us out here by signing up. So what are you waiting for? Head on over now to audibletrial.com slash sample chapter and start your free 30-day trial today. Right, fantastic stuff from Audible. They have so much to offer. More than just a book a month. There's so many fantastic free books each month that you can listen to. Lots of classics on there as well. I just listened to Nick Offerman reading A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. 
And that was fantastic. And it was free with your membership. So lots of great stuff. Lots of great stuff in there. So give it a try today. I also want to thank Pop Goes the Culture Network. All my friends over there. Uh, home to about uh, 10 or so shows. All of them pop culture related. All of them fantastic. Uh, make sure you click that link in the show notes to go over there and check out some of those amazing shows like Pop Goes the Culture Podcast or the Alamo Backlot or Two Dads Review. Uh, so many great, great shows. But uh, yeah, great shows for you to check out. So click that link in the show notes. I also want to thank Project Entertainment Network, home to about 35 different shows of an extremely wide variety. Something there for everyone to tickle your fancy. Uh, so check out this advertisement for just one of those shows. What if a storytelling podcast could be an interactive experience? Hi, I'm Mariah Powell, amateur author and creator of Hobbies Include Writing, and I'm openly inviting your opinions on stories I haven't finished writing yet. Launching with my original audio novel, Blood That Binds, visit hobbiesinclude-writing.weebly.com for more about the show and look for it on a podcasting platform near you. All right, there we go. That is all the preliminary stuff taken care of and out of the way. So now it's time to get us over to the interview with fiction thriller suspense author, the wonderful Catherine Dean Maseroff. Hello, Sample Chapter listeners. Welcome back. This is a this is a wonderful episode, and one of the things I love getting the chance to do is talking to debut novelists uh, like myself. You know, when I first started this show, as you all know, if you've been following the show for a long time, my first book came out just a few weeks after I started. So this is so much fun to get to bring on a debut novelist and introduce them to you, um, my listeners all over the world. Uh, today's guest is Catherine Dean Mazaroff. She's a career journalist and understands the power of stories that resonate with people and touch their lives. The award-winning newspaper reporter and editor has been a magazine writer, worked in corporate communications for a Fortune 500 company, and written extensively on trends, market outlook, and emerging technologies for the global energy industry. As an editor at the Denver Post, Katie was a member of the team that won the 2000 Pulitzer Prize for breaking news reporting. Decades after launching her career path on the college newspaper, she remains passionate about writing, expanding her horizons along the way as a wife, mom, tennis player, skier, cyclist, and world traveler. And she can't imagine a world without dogs. Welcome to the show, Catherine Dean Mazaroff. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to have you here, but also you being at the Denver Post, I am pretty sure I've seen your name in the Denver Post before. It, it just that you've got a unique name, uh, kind of, well, I guess in a way kind of like mine. It stands out and people go like, hey, I've seen that name before. You might, you might have, although you, most of my time at the Post, I wrote under my maiden name, which is Dean, but I have written a lot of, done a lot of writing under my my name uh, last name Mazarov. so okay. yeah, it is an unusual name so <laughs> well how are things going in uh, outside of Denver things are going fine we're having a lot of rain today which is actually good we need we need the moisture but as is typical with spring in Colorado rain often turns into snow as I guess you know <laughs> you lived in Colorado for a while so you know how 
crazy the weather is here. Oh yes, oh yes. That's that, it was beautiful, but at the same time, it's we were looking forward to seeing what was our next adventure. But uh, gosh, it's hard to beat that. Uh, what was it like? Three hundred and fifty days of sunshine a year. Yes. Oh my gosh. They, they yeah, that, that's we get a lot of sunshine here, which is great. Yeah, we went from uh, sunny Colorado to uh, well, Japan. And oh. uh, beautiful, gorgeous, especially in the springtime. This time of year, I've oh, still got yes. friends over there showing us the cherry blossoms, <laughs> but mm -hmm. uh, very, very muggy. And that was very different from the high desert of Colorado. Yes, indeed. It would be a <laughs> big adjustment. <laughs> well, so uh, tell us about your time in uh, journalism and uh, the uh, Pulitzer Prize. That's exciting. Well, I started, I guess I really started my career when I was 18 years old and joined my college newspaper staff and later became editor of the paper. And then I went to work for some small daily newspapers in Southern California, came back to Colorado and eventually got a job at the Denver Post as a features writer and did a lot of uh, human interest stories, personality profiles and so on. Uh, I have had a lot of experience in news writing as well, but I did, I did sort of want to focus more on features because it gives you a, a writer a little bit more leeway to tell a story. Mm. I'm not constrained by, okay, you've got this much space to write a story about an armed robbery and or a city council meeting or something. You, it's it's to me, it's more interesting. You can get to interview people and learn about many different things. And so I've always been, I guess I've always gravitated to that side of the business. Mm -hmm. And while I was at the Denver Post, I, I worked in the features department for mm, about seven years. And then I got married and we moved, my husband and I moved to Wichita, Kansas, of all places. And <laughs> okay. uh, so I, 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 I have experienced the Midwest and learned to really appreciate it. Uh, we had some great times in, in Wichita and did a, a quite a bit of freelance work there, worked for a magazine, worked in corporate communications there for a company. And then we sort of did a, a, a couple of different moves after that into, I went into, when well, I moved to Texas and then came back in the, I guess about eight years later. And then I went back to the Denver Post and ended up as an assistant city editor. And it, got involved in quite a few pretty big stories uh, the last one being the columbine shooting and that's the mm. story that the for the which the paper won the pulitzer prize for breaking news and uh which was a i mean it was it was a horrible event obviously and mm -hmm. one of the first big mass shootings so it was quite shocking but i ended up quitting and I had planned to do this. I quit, actually quit my job right after Columbine. Uh, I wanted to kind of be going the mommy track. I had a young son at home and my husband traveled a lot. And I thought this is good timing since the Columbine shooters had pretty much planned the whole thing, whole event from their bedrooms and basements. Uh, it was good for me to be home oh, yeah. and uh, making sure my son was on the right track. But anyway, he's was fine, obviously. But uh, anyway, so I kind of did the mommy thing for a while through his school and then I uh, went back and uh, ended up going 
getting involved in the uh, energy industry and did a, for about 11 years, did quite a bit of writing, reporting on emerging technologies and trends and market outlook for that industry, which was, which is a fascinating industry. I learned all about all that. So that was great. So I've had sort of a diverse career in the general field of journalism. Uh, obviously newspaper, newspaper work is where I started, but didn't end up there. Of course, the newspaper industry has changed dramatically over the years, unfortunately, but uh, it's been a very rewarding and wonderful career. So I've yeah. enjoyed it. Well, and it sounds like that diversity uh, certainly has helped develop your voice now as a fiction writer. Uh, it having the different opportunities where you've been and the different uh, experiences you've gained along the way helps inform your uh, your debut story, Summer Club, it sounds like. I think it did. Um, I think it's been good to have a, a, a that diversity in my career. In addition, I, I was influenced by some trends that are rooted in the in, several years ago, uh, kind of converged at the same time. One was investigative reporting that was uh, spearheaded by the, basically by Watergate and the Pulitzer Prize winning reporting by the Washington Post. Everybody wanted to be Woodward and Bernstein and do these great expose stories. Another trend that was happening around the same time was one called the new journalism. That's a coin, a, a term that was coined by uh, the author, Tom Wolfe who wrote the right stuff. And it basically, it, it's a movement. It, it combines newspaper investigative reporting with creative writing. And it was writers like Norman Mailer and Truman Capote really brought this out in the open, this kind of report, writing a story or a book that's nonfiction, but reads like a novel, in other words, the nonfiction novel. Mm. And I would say the most iconic of these is Truman Capote's In Cold, Cold Blood, mm -hmm. the story of the slaughter of a Kansas family in the 1950s, uh, which he spent, I don't know how many hours with the, with the criminals who, the, the two men who uh, committed the crime, and then just traced every, their, their whole trail where how they got to this point where they went after and so on and he wrote this book that I think is one of the best crime books ever written I mean but it's all nonfiction. so I was always I always admired that kind of writing and I would try to incorporate it as much as I could in my own writing in features mm -hmm. at a newspaper that's difficult because you are limited by space and time as sure. opposed to a book or a lengthy magazine article but I've always admired that so I, that's always been in the back of my mind. And so when I embarked on my novel, even though it's fiction, I was really able to incorporate that style of writing into my, into the book. Being a journalist my, my entire life, I do have a sort of a specific style of writing as a journalist, but the ability to use you know, create descriptive scenes and vivid characters and really take a reader into the story was what I was hoping to accomplish with this. And I really enjoyed the process. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> quoting a couple of things on here too. Poop in the pool, sex on the diving board, a pot smoking snack bar manager, and cheating on the tennis courts. I mean, and it goes on and on. Some wild themes <laughs> happening in summer club. <laughs> where, where does this idea uh, come from? <laughs> well, I never aspired to write a book. People would often ask me, have you ever thought about writing a book? And I always said, no, I, I just have no, no burning desire to write a book especially a book of fiction, because I'm a, I come from the nonfiction world. So mm -hmm. the idea of writing a novel was just, I, I would never, I'd never consider doing that. Um, and then after I, I quit my job at the Denver Post, after the Columbine shooting, I found myself, I, I started immersing myself in volunteer work and eventually ended up as the volunteer president of our swim club, much to the dismay of my husband who said, please don't do this. But I did it. And, you know, I'd come from the newsroom and I thought, I mean, a newsroom is a very intense place. You've got people clashing egos and deadline pressure and people having temper tantrums every day. And it's just a very tough environment. And I thought, after that, how hard can this be? I mean, I'm going to hang out at the club and play tennis and work on my tan and my son will be involved in the activities. And so I figured this would be a fun thing to do. I'd have to have a couple of meetings. We have a manager to run, run the pool and clean up and all that stuff. I will tell you this, this facility at the time was very run down and pretty dysfunctional. There was the pool leaked. There was always a little stream of water trickling down the street behind the club <laughs> from the pool. Nobody could figure out how to fix it. The tennis courts were cracked. There was a small row of bleachers by the tennis courts that were rusted and nobody could sit on them because they were so hot. The building itself was run down. There were all kinds of plumbing problems. The toilets overflowed. Uh, the paint was peeling. I mean, it was an eyesore. So this was not a posh environment at all. It was just a pool and tennis courts if you could avoid the cracks. But it was, and it was open from Memorial Day to Labor Day. So a very intense, short period of time, three months basically. And all these people would come and play tennis and swim and their kids competed in swim meets and play tennis. And it was just, and then it would, and then on Labor Day, it was over. So anyway, so I'm, I'm, in this situation, and again, I, I it was much harder than I anticipated. My phone was rang off the hook with people calling, constantly complaining, <laughs> and there was poop in the pool a lot. And people did cheat at tennis, but that's kind of a universal situation. Um, it was you know you had the neurotic swim team moms. There were some. A lot of drunken soirees, snarkiness, politics, board politics. And I just, I, I, I won't give them away, but there were some pretty outrageous things that happened, which of course I've, I've fictionalized them, mm -hmm. but they happened. They're based on, I would say 70% of the really crazy stories in the book are based on real events and real people uh, so 
And I just kept saying to myself, you can't make this stuff up. I've got to write a book. And so <laughs> I did. I started writing this book and it started out kind of relating these crazy events that went on day in and day out. Mm-hmm. And then when I got about a third of the way through the rough draft, I thought, this isn't enough. I, I need to bring in a dark element here, something sinister to create some tension and juxtapose against all the silliness. So I started thinking and I, I started researching various kinds of scenarios I could bring in. Was the club a, a front for drug activity? Was it uh, organized crime front or something? And I, I kept, I tried to research all these possible scenarios and nothing was resonating with me. and. I just couldn't figure out how to weave those angles into to the book. So I was stuck. Meanwhile, I got sidetracked with some other freelance work. So I basically put the book down for several years and forgot about it. Just didn't think about it at all. And then about several years later, happened to be talking to a former colleague of mine from the Denver Post and mentioned, and she said, oh, you should pick it back up and write it. So I thought, okay. So I took another look at it. Then I heard about a complex investment fraud scheme. And I won't get too specific about it, but a friend of ours had been involved with a company that was had been in, sort of peripherally involved in this. So he told this story and I got quite enchanted with it. So I talked with him at length. And then I did some research on Ponzi schemes and investment fraud, which Investment fraud is something that it's fairly, it's not too complicated and it happens a lot. And it happens to people who you would think would know better. I mean, a lot of people who are good, smart investors and very savvy get caught up and become victims of in, in this kind of fraud. So anyway, I did this research and then I was actually able to pull some court documents and affidavits on some real cases. And that clicked with me. Now I had the, now I had the, the um, ability to take this story from simply poop in the pool to a body in the river and started writing it. I had to basically re configure the, the first part of the book that I, that I already started and put a new lead on it, a new opener and, Kind of, and then figure out how to weave these elements in into the story. Uh, starting out, the book starts out more focused on the crazy antics going on at the club, but then as as you as you go through the story, the it shifts, and the the crime, the mystery, the suspense factor becomes comes on stronger as 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 you go forward in the book. You know, one of the things that uh, stands out to me or something I've learned over time as, as an author, and I don't know how many times people said to you uh, whenever you got interested in writing or thinking about it before. I mean, I know you mm-hmm. talked about you'd never really thought about writing before, but as someone who had had that in mind for a long time, there was some of the advice I always got was write what you know which used mm-hmm. to confound me for the longest time. I'm like, that grief, what are you talking about? I've had all these different jobs and different things. Like, I, I don't know anything. I know a little bit of things. 
but it's like in your situation, you had these, the situations with the club and other stuff going on and it became fodder for your story. Um, not exactly, <laughs> you know, as a novelist, we've got to twist it a little bit and change yes. the details. Uh, but it's that, that finally clicked with me of realizing like, oh, okay, I, maybe this isn't what it's always meant, but this is what it means to me is writing what I know by filling in some things that I understand. Like my second book has a manager of a self-storage facility, which I'm very familiar with and mm. different things like that. And it's like, yeah, here we go. I've got, I've got things to say now. And, uh, it's always fascinating to hear how some of our real life incidents or activities can start to pepper the details and flesh out our stories as we go. And that, that's fascinating. It is. It's, it's interesting how real people in real events can spark a good story. And I learned, I learned that at the newspaper. I mean, mm -hmm. we do stories on, things that happened and people and so on. And I mean, it, there were some crazy stories out there. So I think our experiences and I think our experiences do influence us greatly. And at least, at least I think for starting out as a novelist, uh, I am not, I, I like books that resonate with me. I think books need, I, I think books need to do one of three things, at least. I think they need to resonate with people. Mm -hmm so that people recognize themselves or characters or events in the book and can say, oh, wow, I know that person. I, I've experienced that. I get it. I think a book needs to entertain. I think people, a book needs to make people experience some kind of emotion, laughing, crying, getting, feeling on the edge of their seats or escape from the stress and boredom of their lives. And or I think a book needs to enlighten or educate uh, about a, a, a period of history, a social issue, playing off current, current events. I think people like to learn more about the world. So I think a book needs to do one of those three things, entertain, resonate, enlighten, to attract, to keep a reader turning the page. And I was, I, I tried to incorporate, I tried to think about that a lot when I was writing the book. When I was at the newspaper, we used to have meetings every day called budget meetings, where we talk about all the stories that were coming in from the reporters. Hmm. And often we would ask the question, we'd ask what was called the so what question. Who's going to read this? Why, why are we writing <laughs> this story? Who's our audience for this story? And because a lot of times, I think a lot of times writers tend to write about things that interest them and they don't necessarily about, they, they may not be issues that uh, a reader wants to read about, or they may go way off into doing in the weeds research that takes readers down rabbit holes to places that they really don't want to go. It's too much, too much oh. information. Oh gosh. Yes. So you have to be careful. And so I was, I, I, I do think a lot about what, what are readers, what do readers want to read? And I wanted to make my readers laugh and I wanted them to recognize characters and situations from the book, but I also wanted to give them an element of suspense. 
because I think people like suspense. And I think even books that aren't actually categorized as suspense books or thrillers or mysteries have elements of that in their books. Um, there's a lot of women's fiction out there that has some element of suspense or something where the reader has to figure something out or there's something that's sort of hanging there that they're not sure of. And so I think people like that in a story. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. And it's, and I love the way that you have blended the, the thriller aspects, the suspense aspects with some outrageous laughs, uh, some, some hilarity. Cause I think that's, that's nice. Cause I, I love nothing more than reading something and getting into it and going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And then I'm laughing because something mm -hmm. ridiculous happened. And that for me, that's something that really pleases me in a story whenever I can find myself tensed up, interested in what's going to happen next. And I can also be laughing out loud. And uh, I, I do a lot of audio books. And so I've mm. got my earbuds in and it's, mm you know, more than once I've had people turn around and look at me and they're like, what is he doing? And I'm like, oh, this, <laughs> this book, this is, gosh, oh man, the, the, the dog at the, uh, at, the, at the swim club, oh man, you know, <laughs> different things like that. Uh, and I, I just think that's really entertaining and uh, just gold whenever you find a book like that. Well, thank you, Jason. Um, speaking of the dog, uh, as I, as you noted in, in introducing me, I, I am a dog lover. And the dog in this book is an amalgam of our three family dogs we've had over <laughs> the years. Uh, the Stanley, Gracie, and Stella. So I named the dog Stacy, sort of after all three of them. And she's a spoiled, entitled, demanding rescue dog. And kind of provides some comic relief through the book and is the protagonist, Lydia Phillips, sort of steadfast companion through this. Um, she, Lydia is, the other, uh, sort of a sub-theme of the book is, is the protagonist, Lydia, who, like myself, is a journalist turned stay-at-home mom who, it doesn't, is not exactly June Cleaver. And so she immerses herself in volunteer work and ends up just way too busy with all this work too much to and her husband keeps saying you know you've got to get a job we've got these kids that are going to college and you're, this is taking way too much time and so I think it 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 does touch on some of the frustrations women experience when they either decide to stay home full-time or try to juggle a job a career with raising a family. It's very difficult. And so it, it, it uh, touches on that. Lydia is somewhat complicated. She's a good, she's, she clearly loves her husband and kids. She's been a good mother. The kids are good, no problems there. But throughout the summer, as, these, as this mystery emerges, she's already, devoting so much time just to keeping this club running. And then this mystery emerges and she cannot help herself to get involved and start trying to figure it out. And she uses her investigative reporting skills to try to track it down. 
and ends up putting her own life in danger. And in the course of this, she goes behind her, behind her husband's back. She lies to him on occasion about what she's doing because he keeps telling her, leave this alone. We've got bigger fish to fry, move on, but she can't help herself. And so it begs the question, is Lydia a good wife and mother? And is she a heroine here? Is she, I don't ever, I don't personally view her as a heroine. She's a, definitely the protagonist, but she's a complicated individual in that regard. Um, and she just, it, and she make, it makes for a difficult summer for the family. <laughs> I imagine so. I imagine so. I, I've got this image in my head of um, a convoluted collection of Chevy Chase, where he's Fletch, uh, <laughs> trying to solve a murder mystery at Caddyshack. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, except except with a female protagonist instead of Chevy Chase. So is what I kind of have in mind a little bit. And I, this is it, it. Just sounds amazing to me. This this whole story idea and the uh, the summer club i i cannot wait to dive into this some more and uh, yeah, <clears throat> discover you. more about this so what's uh, what's next for you well i've thought of writing another one possibly with lydia as the protagonist i've got an idea for the book i've thought about it quite a bit i have not started it yet i i heard an author speak not too long ago who said before you write a book, think about it. Think before you write, you have to know what the ending is. And I haven't quite figured out the ending of this book. Um, I, I just quite, not quite, quite there yet to actually dive into this. Uh, I've been asked by several people how, how the pandemic affected me during this process. And the book was basically written and for the most part finished when the pandemic hit last year. Okay. I was in sort of the final phases of editing and reworking some things. So the, it was more like the mechanics of the book at that point, not the creative. I, did, I, I didn't have to focus on the create creative aspect of the book. But I'm wondering, I, I, maybe, maybe the pandemic is keeping me back from starting this book. I'm just not in a frame of mind to, to delve into it quite yet. But I do have an idea, so I guess it would be sort of the second, if it is the same protagonist, second in a series. Uh, similar genre, I guess. But uh, anyway, so that's, I'm not sure what's next, but I'm thinking about it. Okay. All right. Well, you're not alone there. I mean, it's, uh, again, you know, going, going, yeah, going back, anybody who's been following the show, they know that over a year ago, I announced my second book. Like, yes, it'll be out by May. Okay, it's going to be out this summer, um, this fall. And it wasn't until New Year's Eve before it finally came out. But good day to do it, though. I just, yeah, it worked out. Um, I finally set myself a deadline and got serious at the end of the year. But, you know, just last year, just everything changed. My schedule changed. Yeah. Um, and every time I sat down to work on it, uh, my mind just kept going different directions. And every time I would finally kind of break out of that funk and I'd go do something like my wife and I went to a, uh, a really nice campsite and the uh, deep South Ozarks and mm. 
oh, my mind is just building story ideas like yeah. crazy of different things. And so I was running with that idea for a while. I'm like, okay, yep, I've got something here I can work on. And then it's, oh, here's this other story idea. Oh, here's this other story idea from years ago. Like I know what to do with that now. And yeah, finally in the fall, I'm like, oh, crud, I've got to get this. I have to get novel idea done. And then, you know, prom I was I kept promising listeners that it's coming, it's coming. And so I finally had to get to that and actually fulfill a promise. But you yeah, 2020 is just crazy. Yeah. Well, it's good to get out of your environment for sure. Get a change of scenery and new stimulation and so on. It really, it really is. Mm -hmm. it's, we, you know, now that we've been being cooped up all this time, we, we don't realize maybe how it's impacted us in terms of our outlook. That's true. That's true. And it's funny because a year ago, if somebody <laughs> asked me, I said, well, you know, it's changed my schedule and I've, I can't do a few things I used to do, but otherwise I'm fine. Mm -hmm. but you look at my writing <laughs> and uh, my writing definitely was hindered last year so yes it has I think for a lot of people it's just been and then on, on the other hand you've got all this time there's nothing else to do so sit down and write a book I mean it's kind of balancing those two feelings and the frames of your mindsets I guess I agree I agree. Yeah, there's nothing better than to just pour out your feelings in a in a book. And uh, there's probably plenty of us out there who would love to read that. Well, yeah. where can uh, where can people find and follow you? Well, my website is um, KatherineDeanMazarov.com. So my author name.com. And everything's on there. You can order the book there. All my social media platform links are there. Bio, a little bit more about the book it's that's probably the best place to go to get everything okay all the information great so thank you well and we'll make sure and have links to that in the uh in the show notes and thank you uh, we'll uh, we'll tag you on all of our social media um this will go up everywhere but yeah everybody make sure you click that link in the show notes uh, get over to her website and uh follow her so that way you know when uh when that next book is uh announced and when it's coming mm -hmm. out and and of course when it's when it's ready to come out, make sure you let us know. So if we can't get you back on at the very least, we're going to uh, make sure and let everybody know that your next one is ready. Well, thank you, Jason. I appreciate that very oh, much. It's my pleasure. Well, ladies and gentlemen, time for me to sit back with my ice water today. No, no alcoholic beverages too early today, <laughs> but uh, I am eyeing my cigar box. So we'll see what happens here. But anyway, let's hand <laughs> the floor over to our guest, Catherine Dean Mazaroff with summer club well thank you jason and on that note it remember it's summer somewhere so you can have a cocktail whenever you want <laughs> <laughs> wonderful wonderful <laughs> so i'm going to read a chapter titled hidden treasure it occurs about a third of the way through the book just before the fourth of july when the club manager pete who is already on edge because of some strange goings on makes a startling discovery on the grounds of meadow Glen women tennis club as the end of June approached, the rocky opening weekend was a distant memory. Yes, there were problems and complaints with members often bypassing the website's suggestion box and going straight to Lydia or Pete. No matter how smoothly things went, somebody was always unhappy about something, like the Murphy boys continuing to pee on the playground and throw rocks on the tennis courts. For the most part, though, things were going relatively well. Every day, the grounds were full of people playing tennis and enjoying the pool. Fred Lyons arrived promptly at noon to sunbathe and swim his laps. The ducks, with their growing ducklings in tow, 
appeared in the pool early every morning. And each day at eight, a perfectly coiffed Nancy Brown arrived to practice her ground strokes on the backboard. Pete was generally pleased, but he remained worried. He continued to see the blue sedan on his block and more recently near the club. The first time had been mid-June, directly across the street from the main entrance. Then on his way to the club one morning, he saw it again in front of the house next to Lydia's. The sedan sightings, along with the unresolved and strange trespassing incidents at the club early in the season, had convinced Pete that someone was targeting him. But who? Pete had racked his brain trying to figure out what he'd done or who he had been in contact with that might prompt someone to stake him out. He'd even set up a grid on an Excel program to chronicle his daily routine for the last year, along with special events and parties where he had interacted with people. That had involved checking back to the calendar on his phone and accessing Shelley's calendar, which she frequently left open on her laptop. Despite the thorough research, he'd come up with nothing that triggered anything obvious. Yet he was convinced someone was watching him. Now, as he sat in bed with his laptop at 4 a.m. on the last Sunday of June, Pete made the decision to hire a private investigator, something he knew nothing about, and tell Shelley and the girls. Relieved he'd made a plan to confront the problem, Pete got up and took a shower. He made a pot of coffee and turned on the small TV in the kitchen. At five, he heard the newspaper hit the front porch. In what had become a morning ritual, Pete slowly opened the front door and peeked around the frame. He took a step onto the porch and glanced up and down the street. No cars. Thankful but tired, he went back to the kitchen and prepared himself an omelet, bacon, and toast. Then he was out the door, headed for Meadow Glen. Pete had taken the early shift as Sam had been on duty for steak night. He was confident the assistant manager had overseen the basic cleanup the night before, but there was always some trash left behind and no doubt the bathrooms would need a once over. When he entered the grounds, Pete could smell the remnants of baked potatoes and grilled meat. The rented tables had been stacked against the patio wall alongside several boxes containing dirty table linens, plates and silverware, that would be picked up tomorrow. Pete decided to tackle the worst job first, the bathrooms. He scrubbed the toilets and sinks, then mopped the floors. Satisfied, he grabbed a scraper and cleaned the residue of meat from the grills. Then he turned his attention to the service area where three large trash bags were piled next to the dumpster. He glanced over at the boiler room door. It was locked. He would need to spend the next hour or so attending to the pool vacuuming it, cleaning popcorn kernels from the filter, and replenishing the water that had leaked out since yesterday. As he tossed the last two bags, he noticed the dumpster was flush against the fence, which made it impossible to move. Pete had instructed Sam to keep the dumpster a good two feet from the fence so they could easily maneuver it out the gate on Thursday nights for Friday trash day. With the trash from the swim meet and steak night, plus the usual waste from what would be a busy Sunday night and week at the club, he needed to remedy the situation before the dumpster became too heavy to maneuver at all. Pete tried to pull and push, but the large metal container wouldn't budge. Something was catching on the bottom of the bin. He grabbed a flashlight and looked underneath and saw an object wedged under one of the wheels. Damn it, Sam, probably wasn't paying attention when he rolled the dumpster back in Friday morning, Pete thought. He retrieved a long pole and tried to push the obstacle out. No luck, but he could tell that whatever it was, it was soft. He pushed his back against the dumpster and after several good pushes was able to rock it back and forth. 
A few more tries and the dumpster finally rolled off whatever it was that had been caught. By now he was sweating, his shirt was filthy and his knuckles were scraped and bleeding. Pete stepped back and looked at the dumpster. Whatever had been lodged under the wheel was no longer in the way, but the bin was still awkwardly positioned up against the fence. He would have to try to pull it out a few inches at a time, alternating sides. With each pull, the dumpster moved an inch or less. Finally, Pete managed to pull the dumpster out about six inches from the fence. Now he could easily roll the container out another foot. Exhausted and sore from the laborious ordeal and disgusted that Sam apparently had left the dumpster in such an unmovable position, Pete went into the men's room to clean his face and wash his hands. Then he remembered the object that had been lodged under the dumpster. He went back again and found it in the space he'd created between the bin and the fence. It was a black satchel of some kind, the size of a backpack or duffel bag. Pete picked up the object, fully expecting to toss it into the dumpster, but hesitated when he felt something inside. He opened it. After seeing what the bag contained, he dropped it to the ground, his hands shaking. He reached for his phone and called Lydia. Okay, well, to uh, change a line from Brad Pitt, what's in the bag? What's in the bag? <laughs> that was Catherine Dean Mazaroff reading a sample chapter from her debut novel, Summer Club. Click that link in the show notes to find and follow Catherine Dean Mazaroff on, on her website and everywhere else. You, you can also pick up the book in those links. Be sure to also check out all of our podcast friends and sponsors alike there in those links. And hit that subscribe button so you won't miss out next week with sci-fi and steampunk author Mark C. Harms. He's also got a great podcast. Can't wait to share all that with you. But that's next week. So until then, take care, everybody. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.